0: All right, welcome to post-4th of July episode of Backlash Podcast. Hard to believe we're already past the 4th of July mark, and we're, you know, well in the musky season. So hopefully everybody's having a good season so far. We have uh, no guests this week. We had a listener request via email that we talk about trolling, and so we're going to do that. Brad and I talk a lot about open water trolling, especially Brad. He talks a lot about open water trolling, especially in the month of June. and Um, this listener said, um, you know, be nice if we covered more specifics on the type of gear that we use and all that. So we're going to cover all that and hopefully get you on the right path. I know that, um, Brad typically stops targeting muskies, open water trolling when the water gets warmer, right? Brad, you're just a little too afraid that you're going to bring some fish up from the deep water and and kill
1: them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the thermal plays a huge factor in this whole deal. And, uh, I, you know, just past experience, as you start rolling in the July and the water temps are going up, once that thermocline develops, I'm pretty much calling it. So, you know, there's some specific lakes out there that never develop a thermocline, and, I, you know, those fish will remain out in that open water throughout. Definitely something to consider. You always want to be cautious of uh, the fish's health and safety. So that's one thing that I always think about.
0: And if you're looking for more information on trolling i don't this doesn't necessarily pertain necessarily to only open water but the kevin goldberg episodes that we did number 27 and number 77 are mostly about trolling as far as i can remember brad it's been a while since we've obviously recorded those episodes seeing as though we're on like i don't know 120 now or whatever we are so it's been almost a year since we talked to kevin last but Uh, His episodes are really good and I know they're somewhat timely. I think the one we talk about mostly spring and the other one we must talk about mostly um, fall and late summer trolling. So if you want to know more about what Kevin does, and Kevin is, he's not a household name, but he should be. He catches more muskies than just about anybody I know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Kevin is an incredible troller. He's not only a troller, he's a caster as well. And And he does a great job of explaining a bunch of the different details um, involved in trolling. But I I don't know that we went like down at the core level, the foundation of trolling. And I think that's what most of these questions kind of pertain to. We'll go all over the board with that. You know, we'll be at the beginner level all the way through to the uh, avid musky angler, put it that way. So um, the other one, too, I think, uh, you know. Over the past couple of years, I think Seaford has also talked about some of that as well. So I, I think we've touched a bunch on the trolling. Like I said, I think the foundation is what we're probably neglecting to go into.
0: Yeah, I think I would agree. I don't know that we've ever broken it down as to, you know, what types of lines, leaders, uh planer boards, masts, releases, anything like we've done that way. I think it's like you said, it's been mostly uh I don't know, we'll say not necessarily beginner, but you know one step up from that and higher as far as our tr- trolling uh seminars i guess you would say you call them or however you want to say it
1: yeah that, that's basically i mean I, I guess this isn't like a seminar platform but in a sense it kind of is joe
0: yeah it kind of is it's a weekly yeah, it's a weekly kind of a seminar deal you know typically we try to get a new guest on every single week to teach some people about uh, musky fishing and hopefully uh through 120 episodes i hope that we've accomplished that at least a little bit maybe we help you know, put a couple more fish in the net. I know occasionally we get emails of guys that thank us for, um, information that led them to a different thought process that helped them put a muskie in the boat. And those are absolutely the stories and the emails that we wanted to hear. And that's why we set out to do the podcast right from the get go is to help people catch more muskies because, um, you know, more people catch more muskies, you know, more gets more people in the sport and it all, it helps everybody. So that's kind of the idea behind it. And, uh, you know, hopefully we're going to help you with that this episode. But if you're looking for gear for your next musky fishing adventure, check out teamrhinooutdoors.com. you are your source for musky gear. Recently, we've got restocked on Chaos Tackle, Smitty Baits. Seems like every week we get musky mayhem tackle in. i um, just trying to think of people off the top of my head. Boss Shads, if you're looking for Boss Shads, we have a bunch of them. If you're looking for BNN custom tackle, I know we just got their stuff into, and we got some more five inch shads. So if you're looking for trolling baits, we definitely have you covered there. So check out teamrhinooutdoors.com for your musky fishing needs. And you can also find us on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook, all the social media stuff. And then Brad, you want to talk a little bit about muskie mayhem tackle?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're known for the uh, flash boo, the non bucktail, if you will flash boo with big blades and we've got the whole gamut from uh, little tiny blades all the way up to 13s. So definitely, uh, the inline spinner is our background. You can check us out at musky mayhem, com, as well as YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, love to hear from you. If you guys are catching on our baits, love to see some pictures. So truly appreciate all of our customers as well as I know Jeff does with team Rhino, but, uh, that's about all I got, I
0: guess. Well, that's our infomercial for this week. Now we'll start, you know, talking about it. So Brad, I know one thing that had concerned me is I thought we'd be talking about, you know, hot water again. And it looks like maybe there's a chance we're going to avoid that. I know we're going to be seeing a cold front probably as people listen to this episode. It looks like it's coming in tomorrow in some areas and today in some areas. So hopefully uh, that extends the musky season out a little bit. July can be a little touch and go.
1: Yeah. It's always a factor. You know, the month of July is, uh, is usually the time frame here in Minnesota for us. And I know it is for you in Wisconsin, you know, the Southern boys are already dealing with this, this high, hot water temps, but, uh, we kind of had to shut it down last Wednesday, actually. What would that have been like the first of July? We across the state, I mean, Leech Lake hit 79 degrees yesterday afternoon. I, I couldn't believe it, but, uh, we were touching in the 80s. We kind of shut it down. Fortunately for me, I was done guiding until tomorrow. Tomorrow will be the 6th, I believe. Is that right, Jeff? Tomorrow's <laughs>
0: six, seventh.
1: Seventh, six, tomorrow is 6th, 7th. 7th, 6th, isn't it? Yeah, I was supposed to be guiding the day, but it was questionable. I, the water temps were so high. But as, we, uh, as the day has progressed today, we have dropped down to 62 degrees, and we have some rain. Finally, some rain, some rain that we really, really need (laughs) up in my neck of the woods anyway. So things are going to start cooling down rapidly. I think uh, tomorrow evening or tomorrow night, it's supposed to be 48 for a low. We're going to suck some heat off that surface of the water.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So let's not talk about hot water. That's kind of like one of my least favorite topics ever to talk about because it means that we're not out fishing and, you know, we're just talking about mortality issues and and problems that can arise with fishing in hot water, and it's a very—I uh, don't want to say—it's a heated topic, you know, heated. I guess you could say, mostly because there's definitely people on both sides of uh, of the spectrum as far as what their feelings towards it, and whether you should or shouldn't fish. And so let's just uh, let's move on. But today, Brad, let's talk about trolling. First off, why don't we start with the very basics? Let's talk about uh, line. What type of, What type of line are you typically running?
1: Typically, I'm going to run a braid, and I choose to normally use an 80-pound braid, and the reason I do that is a little smaller diameter, and that's going to help my baits get down a little bit deeper. As you uh, go into, say, a 100-pound test, it's going to have more resistance and drag in the water, which is going to lift my baits a little bit. It's not a huge difference between 80 and 100, but it definitely does cause uh, more resistance, which gives you more lift on your bait. You can work around that by just letting out a little bit more line but when you come to the trolling side the least amount of line it seems to uh to allow you to actually control your baits a little bit better as well
0: yeah they'll react a little better on turns and things like that too if you're you know if you have less line out i would say brad i lean towards the same thing that you do i lean, i lean towards going with braid 80 pound is probably where i'm at most of the time i know that some guys will use 65 if they're running really small baits you know, especially some of the guys in the spring when they're doing some of that that trolling. Obviously, less. You know, when you drop down in pound test, you're gonna have to worry a little bit about breakage issues or things like that. But I mean, typically with muskies, you shouldn't have too many issues either way. I I can tell you a story. One time, I was losing a bunch of fish. And I was fishing with braid, and I was losing a bunch of fish. And I just assumed that I don't know for whatever reason. I assumed it was it was a braid issue. And so I switched all my gear over to mono. And then once I Once I was running mono, I just felt like I didn't have control over where my baits were anymore because I had learned all my line lengths based on braid. And then when you switch over to mono, like you said, Brad, the diameter changes and it'll change your depth, your running depth at some of these baits. Let's say you run 20 feet out and you're running braid, your bait is going to likely drop deeper in the water column. It won't be a ton deeper, but it will drop deeper. And then you would be if you were running mono, uh, typically, depends on what braid. I guess how big the mono is, you know, a lot, a lot of guys I think are running like 40 pound mono. Is that right? I think that's what I was
1: running. Yeah. I usually run 50 if I'm running mono and I, I have mono rods in my setup um, only because, you know, I'm always looking to try to figure out what the fish want. And I think mono provides you uh, a little bit different look. I think it does kind of change the swimming action of the bait a little bit as well. One of, the, one of the primary reasons that I love w- running my braid is I believe it gives me a better signal back to my rod tip on how my bait's actually functioning. Just that alone, I mean, the sensitivity that you get with braid definitely kind of keys you into, is my bait clean? Is there weeds on it? And, you know, this past June here, a couple of like last two weeks, and we were baling hay every day. There were so many weeds with the early spring and the sun penetrating. Uh, the weed growth is insane and with the insane weed growth and the extra boat traffic that's out on the lakes there was a ton of floating weeds and so it was a non-stop battle for two weeks of just checking baits continually but that braid will also help you kind of realize when when a bait is followed up
0: with you mentioning the mono thing the one thing i also i i was going to say about the um, you know like you said the feedback that you're getting that was one issue I didn't like when I was running mono. I didn't like how I couldn't feel my baits running. Like sometimes if you, you know, if, if you can watch your rod tip for one, that's one way to check to see, but that's not always foolproof. So sometimes I'll actually grab the rod and I'll, I'll hold it and I could feel the bait running clean or not. Whereas mono, it seemed like I just couldn't feel that. You could never feel how the bait was doing and I didn't like the stretch on it. It just there was too many things I wasn't comfortable with and I didn't use on it. So I, that's why I didn't switch up or keep it on for real long. It didn't matter. I still lost a bunch of fish when I had the mono on. This was a stretch when I was trolling on green Bay and we were doing pretty well. And I, like I said, I just got in a funk and I, and I made an irrational change, changed everything up. And then I had to make an irrational change back. So that's not the cheapest way to go about doing it. You Throw a bunch of uh, braid away and, and, uh, you know, re-spool with mono and then throw a bunch of that away and re-spool again with braid. But at least I got all new, uh, all new braid rolling. Anyways, <laughs> I will, I will say one thing about it though is I don't know, Brad, when you're running, when you're running, I'm guessing your drag isn't locked down if you're running braid, right?
1: No, absolutely. Even with mono, um, I'm going to make it just so that reel can actually uh, hold back the bait. And when a fish hits, I mean, one of the things that I think a lot of people forget to realize is that boat is moving forward and the boat is going to set the hooks. I mean, you don't need to try to get up and power the fish. The boat already did all the work for you, even with a loose drag. And you want that fish to be able to move, move with the bait in its mouth. So don't, uh, don't have them locked down. You'll probably lose some rod holders if you do. And, uh, there's no reason to have it tensioned up like that.
0: Yep. That's for sure. So that's the same way I do it. That's pretty much the way I think almost everybody I've ever fished with does it. If they're running braid, they're not running everything locked down drags. So, Brad, I think that pretty much covers the line style or the line portion of this, I would imagine, right? Nothing else to cover?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know that uh, we need to go too much more in depth about that. But uh, I'd say the next part to the equation is maybe the real side. And uh, one of the things that I know you do as well, Jeff, and I think every troller out there, we run uh, counter reels. And the reason we run the counter reel is to duplicate whatever we caught on. So something to consider as well. You know, we're, we're talking about line. Now let's talk about the reels. And you definitely want to get a reel that has a line counter so you can always duplicate and you actually know where your baits are in the water column.
0: Yes. And so I would go along the same lines of Brad said there. I particularly, I, I'm i pretty fond of Shimanos, especially the, in my opinion, the older Shimanos. I I like those. the um, And I, I know guys that, that want to run 600s and 700s for muskies. Quite honestly, in certain instances, and like down rods and things like that, I've gotten away with 300s because, I don't know, most of the time I'm only running out uh, 15 to 40 feet of line. So I don't need this bi- Big giant spool on there, so I was doing just fine with the 300s. And like I said, I preferred the older uh, Shimano's, Brad. I don't know. I think that's probably what you're running too, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I've got a lot of the original Takotas, uh, Shimano Takota. I did. I did end up buying a couple 700s this year, and the primary reason I did that is uh, Shimano changed things up a little bit, as well as Daiwa. They did as well. Um, they went to a higher gear ratio and one of the things i think they did that just specifically for the salmon and trout guys they could pick up their lines way quicker but the problem that i've had is uh some of my clientele if they're older or what have you um they struggle because you know you got this high speed reel and you're trying to fight a fish and it's not always the easiest yes you're gathering more line with each turn of the handle but you start losing some of your power so I, I stepped up this year and bought a couple 700s because I needed a couple more reels. I feel like I'm going out for shark or something at this point, but uh, I'm not using the line capacity that that reel provides. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Because
0: I mean, you can just pile it on in a 700. I, if you're looking for a reel, I would say 500 is a good spot to start. You know, if you can find a good 500 spool reel, that'll get you. That'll do almost everything you needed to do. And you don't have to get a Shimano Takota, although everyone thinks Shimano's are super expensive, but I was getting them for, I don't know, right around 180 $190, and, yeah, that's expensive for a line counter reel, but it's also, in my opinion, the best one. I've used a whole pile of them. The one downside, I would say, to the Shimano Takotas is guys don't like the the drag, or the, not the drag, the clicker. The clicker. Yep, they think the clicker is a little too quiet. I know, like, the uh, Okuma, Okuma Coldwaters and... And uh, the Daiwa Sea Lines, the AccuDepths or whatever, those things have a much louder clicker on them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've used, I still have a bunch in the lineup. The Sea Lines are a great reel, that's for sure. Um, I've been around the Akumas. I don't own any at this point. I was trying to get some this spring, but reels were kind of tough to come by. Hence the reason the 700 uh, Dakotas came out.
0: Yes, reels were difficult to come by. And I think in some cases they still are. I don't know for sure. Haven't had to look for one. Pray, praise yeah. God. I haven't had to, because I've heard it's rough.
1: Yeah, it can be. That's for sure. I have had a few other people. I know Herbie has mentioned to me, if I find any to let them know immediately, and I don't know what's going on, but, uh, I think they, they, you know, they come in waves, right? Stores will get some and then they're gone and then stores will get some and they're gone. So if you're looking for one, maybe get on a waiting list somewhere.
0: <laughs> right. Exactly. And when it comes to uh, to trolling, like Brad said, getting if you're gonna get serious about trolling, the best way to go about that is to get a line counter reel. And if you really want to get serious about it even more, once you spool your line on the reel, I would recommend you know pulling out. You know, let's just say you start your clicker at zero, and you can pull out your line, and then uh, actually take a tape measure to verify how long, how much that you know, how much it actually pulled off. So you kind of have an idea because it, you know, when you spool your line differently or how full you spool it, I think that throws off your line counter.
1: Yeah, well, to a certain degree, but I mean, you know, we're, we're not, uh, in this whole realm of musky fishing, I don't think it's quite as important as it is probably in the salmon and trout world. So, you know, the the depth of the baits, we'll get into that later, but, you know, honestly higher is better than lower. So, you know, within reason. So we just, we'll talk about that more in depth.
0: And then the other thing was rods. For me, I've recently, I've used all the Chaos Assault Stick trolling rods. Uh, Back in the day, I used some TDRs and I've used just a, a ton of different stuff. As long as you're not using like a solid graphite rod in the middle of, you know, cold weather in November, I think you should be fine. Like I said, the... The chaos rods are, I don't know, we'll say like a hundred bucks. Those are pretty good, but there's all sorts of different options that you can use out there for trolling rods. I wouldn't get, you know, too hung up on them. I wouldn't spend a whole lot more than,
1: than a hundred dollars or so on a rod. Yeah. For me, I, I do have some big, long nine foot um, fiberglass rods for special baits. Um, I'm talking baits that are really big and, and they've got a big walk to them. But honestly, I use all my old casting rods. I have a pile of old G Loomis's that are probably 18 to 20 years old. Um, they were casting rods for me in the early days. And um, I'm I pretty much using them all right now for uh, patrolling. I wish I could get some, my hands on a couple more, honestly. The reason that I like that rod is uh, it is a graphite rod. But again, it's uh, the signal from the bait. You're actually getting a good report on what your bait's doing. So that's one of the reasons I choose to use a lot of graphite rods. I can watch those rod tips. I know what's going on with my bait. I know that it's free of weeds. And so for me, that's what I generally choose. And honestly, you know, even in the November, I don't worry about it too much. I mean, you got ice built up on your reels, your rods. And I've never had one explode. I'm sure there's a few rods out there that might explode on those days, but, uh, for the most part, I've not had an issue.
0: Right. I have heard stories of it with graphite rods in the late fall. I've never heard anybody have an issue like during, I don't know, normal, you, you know, use like, you know, you're May to, I don't know, whatever, middle of October where it's not freezing cold. I've never once heard anybody have an issue with a graphite rod trolling. That's not to say it can't happen, but. I mean, I, if, if I was you, I wouldn't use your, you know, your brand new, whatever, your $300 $400 rods. I wouldn't use that for trolling if I was you, much like Brad said, just, you know, if you got some older rods around and you want to try trolling, I think the line counter is far more important than the rod in my opinion.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: All right, Brad. Well, let's talk about a mass system. That's not something I use typically. I'm more in inline planer board type of a guy. So why don't you talk a little bit about what you use for a mast?
1: Well, I use a Traxtec, uh mast, and I, the model number, I don't know exactly, but it is the telescopic uh, mast system. And the beauty of that, I, I ended up buying the one with the uh, metal reels on it as well. They, they do make one that's a little less money that has plastic spools on it. I bought the aluminum just because I know how much abuse I'm going to give it going to be bouncing around the bottom of my boat going down the road or across the lake so I wanted to get the heaviest duty one that they make. Um, It's an awesome system. It uh, mounts to a six inch inch piece of track that you can either mount right on your bow or on the floor. Some guys actually mount them in the seat base um, so they get a, a seat pole and they mount that plate right to it and that allows you to slide this track stack Uh, mast system right into it. And one of the things I'm going to tell you is you do want to tie it to the front of the boat somehow. So once that thing's erected, uh, you're going to tie off to that mast to the bow of your boat. There's a ton of stress on that. I mean, these boards pull hard. The key advantages to a mast system, plain and simple, we can get the baits away from the boat. We can run more lines. I think it's really pretty important especially in like the waters that i fish where it's very clear water i'm allowed to get my baits further away from my boat if the boat's spooking a fish they're going to end up right into a pile of lines
0: so let me ask you a question brad if you're using a mass system do you make an adjustment for your baits as far as line lengths out to get them the same depth because they're technically the ones that are like closer to the boat are going to be higher up out of the water am i right with that
1: uh well yes because you know your boards depending on the set of boards that you have it's going to be say a 45 degree angle off the bow of your boat right so the boards are behind the boat slight slightly depending on the boards that you're running you're right i mean you're coming off the top and as you go out with your first line going to be really tight to your board and it's closer to the water and as you move up you definitely need to uh, take an account for the height of where your line is clipped onto that math line.
0: But I think the one thing, maybe sometimes we give muskies too much credit. We try to dial this stuff in so specifically. When I'm, I, I kind of wonder how often it even matters. Like you were talking, and we'll talk more about bait depths and stuff like that later. But if you're running a muskie bait for them, if they're if you're if they're an active fish, they're have no problems traveling an additional three feet higher in the water column to smash that bait
1: three feet's nothing. You know, it's amazing to me how many people say, well, the fish are down 20 feet. And I'm like, we're in a 21 foot boat. Look at the bow to the transom. It's not very far guys, <laughs> you know? So think about it in that perspective. I think we get kind of hung up on fish's vision, um, their feelings. These fish are so aware of what's going on around them. It's amazing. It truly, truly is. And I I've been, over the past couple of years, just paying attention to their attitude and exactly what, what they're relating to, believe me, they know you're there before, you know, they're there. So it's uh, 20 feet is nothing for a fish to move. It's one kick of the tail and they're on top of the bait.
0: So Brad, how about the boards on these things? You buy a board yourself or you buy a board pre-made or do you, you make them yourself?
1: Well, Jeff, when you, when you sent me the original email with these questions, I, (laughs) I kind of took a big deep breath, honestly, and I, I build my own and I will say this. If somebody is really looking to get some boards made, I would potentially make them for them. I talked to John Betty about it a little bit. Um, He's willing to sell some. If I start making a few Um, I'm guessing Jeff, you'd probably consider it as well. Um, we talked about it maybe a year ago, but yeah, I, I've been building my own boards um, out of two different materials. I make some cedar boards, which work out really nice. And I leave them unfinished. And the reason I leave them unfinished is they will start sucking up some water, which makes them heavier. And they pull a little bit harder. And then the other option that uh, is probably the better option. And I've been playing with this for a couple, three, four years, is the trim board, which is basically a PVC trim board like you probably all have around uh, your garage doors. Um, it's used for basically any kind of door on your house or on your garage. They are using a PVC pipes, uh, PVC plastic that uh, doesn't rot and uh, that works really good for uh, for planer boards as well.
0: And then one other question, we have gotten multiple emails about this spring, and I've forwarded them on to you, is releases, Brad. How do people go about finding some releases?
1: Well, again, I made, I made some phone calls. <laughs> um, it's kind of a weird world. When it comes to the releases that we're using, if you see anybody out there with a mask setup, um, whether they're on St. Clair or um, here in Minnesota, or I'm sure Wisconsin, there's a few guys running them as well. But uh, these clips are not always easy to get a hold of. So I made some phone calls, and I got John Betty from Stealth Tackle working on it. So the guys that are out there looking for the clips that we're currently using, John will hopefully have some available. They're not cheap, but they work really, really well. I don't even know the name of them, honestly. So maybe it'll be a Stealth product. I don't know for sure. But uh, definitely the the one-stop if you're looking for to run off your
0: mask yeah that was one guy that we sent that we had sent a couple people to john john didn't necessarily have them they came back to us the other spot we sent him to was um, mike mortis from musky train he had a few too and i think that from what i know of one of the customers that or one of the listeners that came to us i think he might have got the last ones from him too so definitely uh, an issue to try to track down releases and hopefully john from stealth tackle will be
1: able to solve that issue sooner than later yeah, that's that's why I called him. I mean I, I didn't want to put him on the spot here on a on our message, basically uh, having his phone ring off the hook. But he was uh working on it. He was gonna try to get a bunch more in stock. So hopefully shortly they'll be a bit available.
0: Speaking of John from Stealth Tackle, we might as well talk about leaders too for these, you know, for trolling. What do you use for leaders?
1: I use a stealth uh, leader, and it's kind of funny. I mean, I switch things up back and forth all the time. Um, I have different rods in the boat set up different ways. I, I prefer to run a three- to four-foot leader, and a lot of times I'm going to use a fluorocarbon. But uh, there are times when I run a, a straight wire as well. And I think uh, that straight wire kind of sings a little bit in the water sometimes it's just kind of a different sound in the water. So that's one of the things that I I mix up every once in a while.
0: Yes. And if you're looking for that solid wire leader from Stealth Tackle, I believe we're eventually going to get that in stock as well. It was something that John and I played with. I took a quick run out to uh, Pennsylvania this past spring and John and I were playing around with some leaders out there. So hopefully that'll be a product that'll be readily available too. If you're looking for straight wire, you know, leaders, obviously the one thing about them is they will kink and things like that. So they're not indestructible. You know, fluorocarbon is pretty much the coated wire is pretty much indestructible too. But I would say the most indestructible as far as like kinks and abrasion that way is um, just the fluorocarbon stuff. And I used uh, a lot of the five foot 60 inch stuff from Stealth Tackle. I use those, but I also use the ST-130s. I also use the ST-200s, which are 200 pound fluorocarbon too on some of the bigger, you know, trolling baits. But Typically, if you're going with the 130 pound or the 100 pound, you can it'll cover most of your most of your applications. There's also some guys that use the like KP leaders. They have that built-in inline weight on the front of them. They'll use those out in Green Bay, and that's just to catch floating weeds. Just another, I mean, it'll help get your bait down, but its primary deal is mostly to catch weeds as well. Because obviously, as Brad alluded to earlier, weeds can definitely be a problem.
1: Yeah, it's amazing how much uh, your leader will actually gather without anything on it. Another little trick that works really well is if you just basically tie a 7 knot hook right on the on your line, right where you attach to your leader, that will definitely kind of provide you some, uh, some weed-catching ability. And I know that, I, I don't even know if I should say this, but I think John was working on a weed-catcher, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Yeah, sounds like John's got a lot of stuff to do. <laughs>
1: John's a busy man. That's for sure. Yeah, he is. I believe
0: working on something. I don't remember exactly the details on it or when it was available or, or what was up. But I think he was working on something there, some sort of weed catching something. But like you said, I've used the the hook trick as well. I just cut the barbs off the hooks and you're good to go.
1: Yeah, it absolutely works really, really well. Um, It's a simple, quick fix, but, uh, definitely will keep your bait a lot cleaner.
0: So moving on. Is, uh, is it effective in lakes with Cisco's or also lakes with primary sunfish for bait? I mean, we can cover that. It works everywhere, but we can talk about it, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's not bait, bait fish specific, that's for sure. These fish, they swim everywhere, right? So there's times when the comfort zone is out in the middle of the lake where the best oxygen levels are, as well as uh, coolness in the water temps. It doesn't have to be a Cisco whitefish type lake and so open water fish can be found in any body of water
0: yeah i would agree i definitely know that one of our regular listeners he's been finding fish in open water in northern wisconsin this spring and so he told me that it's it definitely he's starting to dial down that pattern a little bit too and his his stuff is not cisco related from what i can tell it's mostly uh you know just like you're just looking for bait fish same thing with not necessarily even like um open water trolling in June, because that's what we talk about a lot, but there's those lakes in Southern Wisconsin where the panfish move out, you know, bluegills and sunfish will move out. And then that July timeframe, depending upon, again, it's water, water, uh, temperature dependent that late June, July bite can be pretty solid as far as a troll. It just depends again on, on water temperatures. I mean, I don't want to beat on it, but we don't want to be targeting fish, especially open water trolling when water temperatures are too high.
1: Yeah, that's for sure, Jeff. You know, I think a lot of the relation to this whole thing on the open water, it comes down to the bugs. And the last couple of years, I think Matt and I talked about this a couple, three, four weeks ago. One of the things that you'll find is that, you know, the bug hatches are out there in the, generally in the mud. But the last couple of years, it's been more of a hard bottom, maybe a mix of mud and sand. Um, a lot of our lake flies are coming out of that. So if you can find where these bugs are coming up, And you can find it really easy on your 2D sonar or your down imaging. And it definitely is part of the equation because when those bugs are hatching, your smaller bait fish are moving out there and they're utilizing those bugs for a quick meal. And guess what happens? The muskies are right behind there. Your predator fish are going to follow and the bait source becomes that.
0: All right, Brad. So then the other, question, the other part of this email we had was, how do you troll a bucktail? And I figured nobody's going to know how to troll a bucktail better than you. <laughs>
1: well, I don't know about that. But <laughs> it, it's been something that I've done for a long period of time. And, and Greg Thomas and I started playing with it, I don't even know, 18 years ago, something like that, 15 years ago, whatever it was. You know, there's no depth curve to exactly where that bait was going to be. So what I did is I went on a lake where there was a ton of sand humps and started putting line out and adjusting and trying to figure out exactly where my baits were. And the best way for me to do that was to crash them into the sand and find out exactly what was going on. So, you know, this relates to speed as well. And big blades have a ton of lift and it's going to provide that bucktail up in the water column. And so what I was doing um, and what I still do today is I run a four foot leader And generally, it's a fluorocarbon leader. You definitely want to have a swivel on your leader when you're running blades because, you know, those blades have a ton of inertia and they will start twisting up your line. So a swivel is key. Off of that swivel that you would tie to, I have been running a one pound ball and I basically just use a little stay lock. Those one pound balls have a little metal loop on them. I hang it off of there. That's another great weed catcher. At 3.2 to 3.4 in that realm, with about 37 feet of line out, you're about 10 feet down. That's what I can tell you with with one of our trolling girls. Um, If you want to run it higher, you know, you're just basically going to have to put your rod tip right in the water. And again, depending on your speed, you will start blowing those blades out the surface um, if you start going a little bit too fast. And you just kind of got to let your, your bait and your speed kind of relate to the, the, two, of the, the two parts relate together and, and figure it out. There's a lot of times where I'm running it off my mass system and I'm going to let out 9 to 10 feet. And so I know it's just barely under the surface. And I think in the month of June when those fish start going out to the open water, there's a lot of times where you see them sitting right on the surface. And it's definitely uh, a great way to target them.
0: I'm assuming that every time you're trolling a bucktail, you're probably using
1: some sort of weight on it though, Brad? Generally speaking. I mean, our trolling girl that we built, I don't know how many years ago, um, it has two three-quarter ounce weights on it. I don't remember the exact total weight of the bait. But it, it will stay down in the water a little bit better than, say, like a normal cowgirl. A normal cowgirl at three and a half miles an hour is going to blow out almost no matter what. So, yes, you know, and it, it's funny. Everybody's kind of got their own thing. I talked to a guy earlier this year. He's running three ounces on his leader, probably one of the leaders you were just talking about. But, uh, you know, for me at three, two, three, three, somewhere in there. A one-pound ball, 37 feet of line, you're about 10 feet down, and that seems to be the ticket. Now, one thing to consider, though, when you're running that kind of weight on that system, when you turn, say you're turning towards that line, it's going to drop. It's going to go way down. The other thing that you really have to be considerate of is that if you're fighting that fish with that ball in front of you, you are fighting that lead weight as well. And so when you're doing that, you definitely do not want to have that bait pointed towards you as you're fighting the fish. You want to have a little bend in your rod, pulling that weight away from you. Because I've seen it where a fish comes undone off your hooks, right up by the water, and that cannonball will come right at you like a cannonball. I know a guy that was salmon fishing and actually had that happen. The salmon came unpinned. And the ball hit him right in the eye, which was not a good thing. So it's a, it's a different world. I mean, when you're, when you're fighting a fish with that big giant ball on there, it gets uh it's a pretty wicked fight, honestly.
0: Yeah. That's one thing I don't do a lot of is troll bucktails and I probably should. I don't know why. It's just, it's not something I've ever gotten into, but definitely something to, I mean, they're super effective. Brad's caught plenty of fish doing it. Lots of guys have, but uh, definitely give, give bucktails a try.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I did the greatest job of explaining all of that, Jeff, but I I do know that, um, you know, the, the safety side of it is something to consider. Absolutely.
0: All right, so, Brad, we got speed. You know, let's talk a little bit about speed, for example, you know, when you're trolling. So I think that – I've said this before on the podcast multiple times. I think guys in the Midwest troll too slow. Now, when I say Midwest, I mean Wisconsin and Minnesota probably – Cause the, the Illinois guys, they don't seem to have any problems dialing up the speed. If I hit four miles an hour trolling, I think I feel, I feel like I'm going really fast, but I also feel like there's opportunities where you should be trolling faster than four miles an hour. Brad, why don't you talk a little bit about your typical trolling speed?
1: Well, it's kind of a loaded question. You know, I just kind of gave it away when I was talking about using that one pound ball. 3-2, 3-3 Three two three three is kind of the magic sweet spot for me in the month of June when I'm open water trolling. And it's really wild, you know, different people you meet and you're talking to them. And as, as you start getting into the details, it's amazing how many other people are doing that same exact speed. As an example, Billy Bigner, a good friend of mine, he lives down by Madison. And we started talking open water fish and he's in, he's in my boat. And he's like, how fast are you going? I'm going 3-2. He goes, that's exactly the speed I go. Matt Seifert, first time I ever got in the boat with him, fishing open water. He goes, how fast are you going? Three, two. He goes, well, I go three, three. But I mean, you're you're splitting hairs at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) For whatever reason, that speed has worked really, really well for me. I get made fun of all the time. I'm duff theory from supernaturals Mm -hmm. in the boat. And he's even put on the back of the bait. Sometimes do not exceed 3.2 miles an hour. (laughs) You know? And uh per Brad Hoppy. So anyway, I that has always been my sweet spot, but I will tell you this this year we had some challenges in the open water. It seemed like it was a tougher bite. We had fish out there. I mean, we're marking them on side imaging and they wouldn't go. And so I really started exploring. I started doing more speed. I started doing slower. So you know, and, and we got bit because of it. So It's not, it's a general rule, but in the open water, I say three, two to three, three, but that's not to say that you can't get one going for the beauty of speed is the faster you go, the more water you cover. Honestly, I think five, six miles an hour, these fish are going to still eat it if they want to.
0: Yeah. If you're, if you want to know a little bit about trolling speed and how it works, there's a, um, the podcast we did with Lazarus. I don't remember when the heck we did that. It was probably, I'm guessing, fourteen-ish months ago, maybe. I want to say. What do you think, Brad? Is somewhere in
1: that ballpark for Laz? Yeah, I would. I would say that that's probably about right.
0: I didn't write the number, the the episode number down. I would go back and listen to it because he's talking about how he's varying speeds, like almost like he's on and off the throttle the entire time. It sounds like didn't didn't you kind of get that out of his his deal, Brad?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I know lots of guys that do that. You know, there's guys that change direction as well so that the inside baits are slowing down and the outside are speeding up and back and forth. Um, definitely it could be a triggering device. The one thing that I can say is that it seems for me a steadier speed is better. Now, I, I can also tell you this. If you got Cisco's blowing off out the surface, <laughs> you can adjust your boards with your mass system so that your boards are actually loading up and then they jump forward. They load back up and they jump forward. And the neat thing about that is if you're running short lines on that mass system, your baits will actually blow out on the surface almost like a Cisco when it's jumping.
0: You know, backing up, I don't mean to get off the speed thing. Brad, you're pretty much right, and I'm kind of in that same ballpark with you. I'm 3.2 to 3.5 more often than not. I definitely will experiment based on Water temperatures, time of year, things like that and uh, you know but I'm in that ballpark and I don't know I definitely know I have friends that are for sure they think 3.5 is is too slow so and and they catch lots of fish so I can't argue with them Kind of play around with uh, your bait style, your fishing style and and what works for you. but I would say if you're in that you know three something range to five something range, you're you're in the ballpark to start with.
1: Yeah. It's not, you know, these are general rules, right? I mean, and what are rules for? They're meant to be broke. So you got to experiment and everybody, water, every type of bait fish. I mean, there's all different kinds of keys to catching these fish. And just remember, it's a general rule.
0: So one thing we didn't, we skipped over kind of Brad was when we were talking about boards, we went to mass. We didn't talk about boards themselves. Do you ever use inline planer boards?
1: Yeah, I do at different times. Um, I usually have a set in my boat so that if I switch things up and I don't have the mask with, I can definitely put them out. That's for sure.
0: Sure. And I typically, if I'm running boards, I'm running the offshore boards. Uh, One thing I use is the, I believe it's the OR18 black flapper clip. I change that out on the front and that seems to hold braid just fine. Some guys got it. Some guys will use other clips and you got to loop it around it so the braid doesn't slip. I use that black flapper clip, but I've never had issues with slipping, and it comes now with a a little red clip in the back, so you can use that too. And I try to stay away from boards, I would say, as much as I can, especially if I'm solo, but there are times where I want to try to get the bait away from the boat, and so I'll definitely use them. I'm not not one of the types of people that worries about the boat spooking fish. That's just not something I'm concerned about. I've caught too many fish too close to the boat to have me be concerned about that.
1: Yeah. One of the things that I, I've just noticed, you know, the last couple of years, it basically using side imaging, there's a lot of times where you creep up on these fish. I mean, like I said, they're in the, on the surface out there and they're going to move because they don't want to get run over. Um, the neat thing about running boards or a mass system where you got a big giant planar board, you know, th- those fish are going to slide away from the boat. Guess what? There's lines in their face and, I agree with you, Jeff. I mean, there's a lot of times the down rods are the ticket, so it's good to mix things up. And if you can run more than one line, you got three, four guys in the boat, whatever it might be, you, you want to have some down rods, but you also want to try to get a few away from the boat and it just allows you to run more lines easy anyway.
0: I'm fishing Northern Wisconsin. I'll fish by myself or with one or two of my kids. So the most we're running is three. The other thing I could tell you too, Brad, you know, like if you're trying to cover big, wide open spaces and you, and these fish aren't necessarily con- concentrated in certain areas, like if you're structure trolling, kind of a different thing. Whereas if you're covering big, wide open spaces, you might want to put more boards out cause you might want to spread it out a little bit. Cause much like you said, you don't know exactly know where you are. You know, the guys up in green Bay, they're going to run six of them per boat because they're covering big, wide, you know, just, I don't want to say like structureless flats and they're just trying to pick them up
1: off these flats. Yeah, absolutely. I mean if you if you want to cover water, the mass system is a great way to do it. And just your normal uh, offshore or what's the other one, the church boards. Yeah, church boards, uh, yep. TRX 44s are great. And they work out really well that way. So definitely something to consider. So one other thing to consider too is with your down rods, you know, we talked about weeds and, and how you're dealing with the weeds. You can definitely, I know I get questioned on this all the time. Why do you have the rod tip in the water? Well, when I'm running a down rod, I always put my rod tips in the water, generally speaking. And the reason I do that is the weeds cannot follow your line down to your bait. And so by doing that, the weeds are going to hang on your rod tip and hopefully not go down the line. And that's uh, just a little quick tip that uh, definitely will help you keep your baits clean while you're out there trolling.
0: All right, Brad. So one of the last things that everybody wants to talk about is baits all the time. And I think bait selection is very regional. It's very lake specific. It's that kind of stuff. So you're going to definitely want to play around with it. I would say, I think you and I can both agree that a supernatural bait is one that everybody should have in their, in their tackle box, in their arsenal. I know there's a plethora of, you know, trolling baits out there, whether it be slammer tackle to uh, all the stuff from drifter to shallow invaders you know I said being being in customs boss shads i mean there's tons and tons of trolling baits i missed a bunch and that wasn't on purpose but you know it's kind of just uh take a handful of them and and give them a run but i, I mean you, you can't nobody should argue with the uh, power of the matlock i would say
1: yeah, both the headlock and the matlock have been incredible. I mean, you think about how many big fish have been caught on those particular baits; it's outstanding, actually. But don't uh, don't be afraid. I mean, the grandmas, the jakes, like you're talking about, slammer, I've, they all have a time and a purpose, right? And I don't know what it is about crankbaits, but I absolutely love them. And uh, there's there's nothing more fun than getting some new crankbaits and actually going out there and seeing how they swim and what they can do. I don't know. It's an incredible deal. Sometimes they want a little tighter wiggle. Sometimes they want a little bit of walking and, uh, you know, that that's the cool part about crankbaits.
0: Yeah. And then the other thing I could say is, you know, they all operate differently. So knowing your line lengths that you let out to get these cranks to operate in the uh, ideal, you know, depths that you're looking for is definitely important keep an eye on your electronics to look for what bait is and you know we we didn't necessarily go real deep into it but you know like we were talking a lot of guys I think tend to run their baits too deep where they should be targeting higher up in the water column air on the side of high muskies have eyes on the top of their head they're going to feed up there's way better chance that they're coming up to get that bait than they are to come back down you know, neutral to negative fish, you're going to have to probably be closer in their strike zone, but inactive active muskie's got no problems coming up five feet higher than it
1: wants to, to catch that, that bait. Yeah, that's true, Jeff. Um, you know, as a general rule, most of these muskie baits, I, I say most take that lightly. It's two to one. So if I let out two feet, it should be down one foot basically. Just keep that in the back of your head. So if you're running 30 feet of line, you're going to be somewhere around 15 feet down. As a general rule, that kind of gets you in the ballpark.
0: Yeah, much like Brad was doing, though, where he was smashing sandbars and stuff like that. That's If you want to know exactly where your baits are, spend the time. Go do that. Find those kind of structures that you can, you know, even if it's just some rocks, you can bounce your baits across. Although rocks may not be the best. In some instances, some of these lips might not handle it, but if you're looking to know your line lengths and your depths the best that's obviously the best way to go about it then you know exactly what's going on
1: yeah i can't remember the name of the book Jeff where they is it mike's trolling
0: musky mike's trolling secrets if you can find the book you can get a lot of general knowledge starting you can get a good starter on that you know to get get you in the game at least i found it's not 100% accurate but it it'll get you it'll get you close. It'll get you started.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, as a, like I said, you got to keep in mind that it's a general rule. I mean, you could be doing something totally different than what they use to test with. So, but like you said, caution on uh, a little bit higher in the water column and you're going to be pretty safe.
0: All right, Brad. Well, I think that kind of covers our trolling segment for today. If anybody wants more information on specific topics, let us know. We'll get back to a guest here very soon we talked about it but holidays and you know brad's super busy musky mayhem tackles is going like crazy and i mean shoot i think brad you were in the shop at three thirty this morning
1: i was yeah but that's because i'm an idiot <laughs> <laughs> i think we... i woke up at three thirty, and i'm like i tried to go back to sleep and i couldn't so i just went straight to the shop
0: right well, I think we're both in that same category. So I wasn't in the shop at 3:30 this morning, but there has been many mornings where I have been. And so, um, but anyways, we, you know, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope you got some information out of it. We want to thank all of our listeners always for listening to our podcast. If you're looking for gear, please consider shopping with team Rhino Outdoors and Muskie Mayhem Tackle. And, uh, unless Brad's got something to add to this episode, we'll catch everybody again next week.
1: I think we're good, Jeff. Thanks again, everybody, for listening.